Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a very interesting and talented guest today. Our guest specializes in maximizing organizational effectiveness and efficiency, regardless whether you're a boomer, a Gen X, or a millennial. So welcome, Lee Carraher. Thank you, Steve. It's so great to be with you. I appreciate it. Well, now before we get started, I'd like to share... Just a little about Lee's background. She has a great background. Uh, she's the CEO and acclaimed communicator strategist known for her practical solutions to big problems. And Lee has a reputation for building cohesive, high-producing teams who get a lot done and have fun at the same time. She's a sought-after coach and a confidant to her clients and she regularly helps organizations navigate complex, sensitive, and critical situations. Her first book, Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, uh, was recently published, and it's based on her own work of building a successful international workplace, as well as insights from more than 250 managers, leaders, and employees of all ages in different industries. She likes to have a lot of fun, and one of the things that uh, I like about her, in addition to the other things that I know about Lee, is she's active in her San Francisco Bay Area community. She serves on the boards of KQED Public Media, and also San Francisco's Grace Cathedral in key leadership positions. So, Lee, let's just go ahead and get going today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, let's just start out. So what was your life like growing up, Lee? And what experiences helped you see that you could be successful and helped you really get in the career path that you're in today? So I grew up um, on the East Coast uh, between Boston area and Providence. Boston until I was in seventh grade, Providence eighth to twelfth grade. And I'm I'm the first of three daughters to some awesome parents. My dad um, uh, is a retired cardiac surgeon who was pretty renowned in his field. My mom, who's now dead, um, was a homemaker until she went back to school to become uh, at one of um, at Simmons College first um, class for MBA students. And I think um, I went to an all-girl high school, which had a huge impact on me. I think the more I'm, farther away I am from it, the more I think it is, was a huge impact on my life in terms of understanding possibility and just uh, the, the power of um, trying and failing and trying again, trying something different. Um, my father um, 
was born in a very rural part of Iowa. He had was very meager upbringing, and he really, you know, he um, got to his college, you know, he got to Brown University on a full scholarship and then to Johns Hopkins on the same and sort of came from nowhere to being really uh, impactful in his career. And I think that watching him um, sort of come from nowhere to being at the top of his game in, in the big game was very inspirational to me. And my mother, who, you know, took care of the three girls and got us everywhere and helped us do everything we wanted to do. Um, and when she went back into the workforce, she was, you know, was in the late 70s. Um, when she went back to school, um, part of the big thrush of women, of uh, women going back to school and getting into the workforce. And she made a huge impact uh, for the where, the where she worked uh, in the banking industry on people's careers. So I think my parents, um, in terms of their own careers and, and what they've done for other people, um, really gave me a great role model of making an impact in the world, no matter what I chose to do. Oh, what what an inspirational background. Isn't that fun to have parents like that? Yeah. <laughs> or pressure. I tr- I chose not to take the pressure from it, but um uh high standards, but they, you know, at the same time as they had high standards, they were so supportive of myself and my sisters in terms of finding something that we like to do and uh doing it the best we could. Well, congratulations on that. That is fabulous and uh, and, and then as far as transformation, the experience where you've had maybe a crossroads that pointed you into choosing what you're doing today, wh- mm-hmm. where, did, where did that come from? You know, I've been in this career since I left college. I have a degree of medieval history, which I don't use the subject matter of, but I use the discipline of every day. And um, I got into the world of public relations and communication consulting right out of school, and I've been in it ever since. And I think um, what I knew about myself was that I was good at doing lots of things, and I was good at really helping people um, get where they're going. Um, In my own work of introspection over time, you know, I've been at this for a long time, you know, I think I'm on this planet to help really good people do really great things. And... um, for and when I couldn't do that, when I was working at other companies where I didn't have the ability to choose the clients I worked for or to put volunteer time against um, organizations that I believed in, was when I was probably at my lowest as a person. Um, and when I decided to um, start this company, which was inspired by a lot of different reasons, the freedom to um, actually line my own values up with the work that I did every day was what really propelled me to, um, to move forward. Oh, that, that's, that's a great, uh, great story. And I love that as you try to identify what are your core strengths. And we talk about becoming your best uh, all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's what my book has been on, the 12 principles of highly successful leaders. And part of that is really being aware of what your strengths are and what makes you excited and what gives you passion for the things that you do. And then that helps establish a direction. Uh, And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Very much so. Very much so. Um, 
And, you know, it took a while, right? <laughs> this will just come to you in a moment, but it took a while. But um, definitely um, feel that when you can line all those things up is when things happen for you. <laughs> it does take a while sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, okay, Lee, what's been the biggest challenge in your life, whether it's in your personal life or professional, and how did you handle it? What, what did you learn from it? I think the biggest challenge in my life, and I wish I could say there's only one, but there have been lots, <laughs> but I think the biggest one is my, I have two children, um, and my second child was born, uh, has special needs, and had a traumatic birth, and basically had, we knew he was uh, going to have extra needs from when he was born, and um, the challenge the first challenge of that is to sort of it wasn't we didn't know we just there was no test that we took that told us we were going to have a a a special needs child so it was a surprise and then you know the um a lot of the biggest challenge was not for the first part of the biggest challenge was um not feeling guilty about having you know what did i do wrong to have this this child who who will never probably be um independent and um, so that took a lot of work, and um, uh, my faith really helped me with that. And then um, I've lined up, my husband and I have lined up our lives and my job to make sure that my older son doesn't need to take care of my younger son once my husband and I are gone. And I think the inspiration of helping that child be, you know, he's here for a reason. He is the light of the world. Every time he walks into a room, people pay attention to him because he's just, he's an amazing child. Um, my other child is amazingly gifted in music as well. Um, but when, when Liam walks in the room, you know, people pay attention to Liam. So I know he's here for a reason and, um, how to overcome the guilt of, you know, it, just these things just happen, right? There's really yeah, no true. rhyme yep, or reason for right. them. And then align um, everything up so that I could be a big part of his life and at the same time as achieving what I need to achieve for uh, – I'm the breadwinner in my family um, so that my older son is not fiscally responsible for my younger son. And I think those – that has guided almost every decision – we've made as a career um, since he was born. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that. And uh, it changes us, doesn't it, having experiences like that? It does. And I think, um, I think you either react positively or you react negatively. Um, there's no middle ground. There's no gray in those kind of things, you know, because <laughs> um, gray is really challenging. I mean, I think um, <laughs> I see a lot of people uh, who have families like ours who um, sort of struggle every day just with um, getting through the day. And our circumstance with our son is very similar to so many other people's, but our opinion and how we how we accept the situation um is very different. And I think the glass half full and understanding there's a purpose really helps us um, have a lot of ener positive energy for low friction on that. Well, I'm so glad that you were willing uh, to share that. Uh, and because people have setbacks in life, we all have challenges. They come at different times, they come as surprises. 
uh, and they're not always fun, uh, or and sometimes they're really quite grave. We might lose a, someone that's very close to us, a family member or whatever, and uh, so we do have choices, and uh, at the end of the day, we still need to move forward and, mm-hmm. and decide that we're going to make the best of the situation. Uh, because the alternative is just not very good. No, and I think that um, uh, there are many, many people who do not choose to move forward. There are many, many people who don't have the faculty or the wherewithal to um, sort of get over uh, whatever it is that um, – and I don't mean you ever get over something, but how do you accept something and move forward from it? And um, – when you have a business, um, you have those people in, in your business. By de- you, know, you must have those people in your business. And how you help your, your employees in the different ways that they have their own challenges um, really sets you apart as a business, I think. Okay, that's an excellent point. Now, you do much to help organizations to be more successful, and particularly <laughs> with the various generations of workers and how to guide mm-hmm. them to work together to get the best results. So how can we thrive with millennials in the workplace? And is there a difference? Is there a difference between millennials and Gen X and boomers? Yes. So there is a difference between the generations, and there's always been a difference between generations. Uh, you know, generational conflict is nothing new. I start my book, Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, with a a quote from Socrates, which was 400 B.C., so, you know, nothing new. Ah. The difference for us today is that um, uh, this is the first time in American history that we um, have four generations in the workplace together. So those differences among the generations and the conditions that we find ourselves at different ages um, is much, much more collided than um, it has been in the past. Um, from a um, millennial perspective, I'm a boomer. I'm the last year of boomer. And I think that millennials get a really bad rap. If you Googled it today, you'd find over probably 4 million negative entries about how to work with millennials. You know, working with millennials is so terrible. And this is just wrong. And um, I, when, I um, agree it, totally. I, I agree with just, that 100%. It is statistically impossible that an entire generation is wrong, you know? <laughs> So um, I think a lot of the negative um, things that are around millennials and working with them are are tied up in our uh, boomers and Xers' disappointment in their own situations that did not live up to their own expectations, <laughs> which is very true. I mean, there are many boomers out there who thought they'd retire at 50. Well, that birthday came and went. And, um, and millions and millions and millions, um, there are over 78 million boomers in this country, of boomers who um, – are going to have to work much longer than they ever thought they were going to have to. And I think that disappointment uh, colors our point of view on uh, people around us. Um, I do think that millennials are different. I think that, um, and let me just paint a couple of pictures for you so you get some context there. So like I said, boomers, 78 million, Gen Xers around 46 million, and millennials who this year will be 16 to 36 years old, born between 1980 and 2000, uh, 80 million millennials. And only basically two-thirds of them are in the workforce today because they're 16 to 22-year-olds who are not yet working, right? Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, and that, you know, to think about Gen Xers, almost a half, not quite a half of both millennials and boomer size, you know, a lot of single children, children who were born, who grew up as latchkey kids with dual income families who are very singularly independent, um, surrounded by uh, boomers who have siblings and millennials who have a lot of siblings, right, who are much more group oriented. So just there you have a, a generational divide um, just based on the numbers alone. The second thing uh, for millennials is um, they're absolutely digitally native. So grew up. Um, and particularly the youngest two sets. So um, the set of millennials, 16 to 21 this year, and then 22 to 28 years old, you know, grew up with dramatic, you know, just impactful amounts of uh, technology and what a technology affords you in the classroom. Um, older boomers, 29 to 36 year olds, they did, you know, when they were in the classroom, um, iPads did not exist. But for the younger two sets, iPads have been in the classroom for a long time or one-to-one computers in the, at college and all that kind of stuff. So that has a dramatic impact on um, how you think and how you do things. Um, And what we find in the workplace is often for uh, people who are coming out of college today, uh, businesses need to backward train their new graduates on technology because they may have legacy systems that are antithetical to the millennial technology experience. And just that, you know, divide alone. Like, why don't they know how to underline? Because they never had to. There are my son, who is uh, my older son. He hasn't printed out a piece of paper in high school for the last two years. Like, he hasn't submitted a paper in two years. Well, that's not how boomers or Xers worked. (laughs) You know, so just those kind of sensibilities create... um, conflict because uh, the expectation of what words mean uh, means something different to millennials and boomers and Xers. The concept of a draft, for instance, um, is very different. Uh, Millennials might send you a link to a Google Doc that might have lots of different colors in it and lots of comments on the side, and a boomer might print out a piece of paper for you and leave it on your desk. Um, And uh, they're foreign to each other. (laughs) So, okay, that's, that's a great description. All right, so how do, they, how, how do we help create then a highly effective culture with the different generations? What needs mm-hmm. to exist? So I think a couple of things. Um, and my point of view is, one, a couple of things. If you have a business without millennials, you have a business without a future, period, <laughs> number one. So, you know, um, and I wrote my book out of my desperation of, of all the negative stuff, right? I'm like, I refuse to be negative about the people who ensure the future of my business. And um, really, there's a couple things. If you can create an environment where millennials thrive, everybody else thrives too. But the opposite is not true. Hmm. So we all benefit when millennials can be in a positive position. And a couple of things you can do to um, that adjusting and not you're not catering to you're you're requiring everybody to um participate so it's not one person's responsibility just really clear about that but the first piece of it is to be very contextual and what i mean by that is um don't assume anything don't assume anyone really knows what their role is don't assume anyone knows anybody else's role and don't assume people know what the job is, what the role of the team and all that kind of stuff is. So at the beginning of any project, start the start the project with a, a long discussion about the 
the purpose of the project and how does the project fit into the other work and what and when we hit our goal, uh, this is what we will all achieve together and how the team will um, will contribute to the overall company's goal. And then, so that's the big picture. The smaller picture is here's who's on the team, here's who's doing what, here's how everybody's job impacts everybody else's. A lot of the time, uh, millennials get a bad rap for, you know, complaining about being the bottom rung. Uh, this is nothing new. No one likes to be on the bottom rung. <laughs> right. um, but they're not used to being on the bottom rung because the millennial world is very flat. Um, so for millennials, I always remind people to tell them there is no job that is not important. There is no job people are getting paid for that doesn't have to get done. And as soon as you understand that your work impacts other people's work, well, everybody has much more vested interest in the work happening. Um, so explaining everybody's role and how everybody uh, impacts everybody else is hugely impactful um, for understanding and for collaboration. And um, where boomers were a wait-my-turn generation, sort of did what we were told to do, and if we just waited it out, our opportunity came, millennial exp- experience is not that at all. Um, digital um, world has allowed them to have access to almost everything in the world with one click or one tweet or one email, and they expect the same kind of access when they get into the workplace. So understanding that and creating context around what is the work and who impacts what is the first possible thing you can do to make it um, just much more positive. The second thing um, that's really important is millennials in general have had a lot of feedback, much more feedback um, than um, their older colleagues, and also a lot more input. They've been able to give more input, and I'll give you an antidotal experience on that. So, you know, if you have a smartphone and you use apps, you are used to getting updates almost every Tuesday or Wednesday <laughs> on your phone. Um, and you're used to uh, buying products that are constantly improved through feedback by bug fixes that consumers find and they let companies know. Well, boomers and Xers, we grew up with perfect products. And I don't mean they were actually perfect, but there was really no way to improve them without buying a new one or exchanging something. And in today's technical world, um, products are constantly improved after you get them. Even a printer will be constantly improved with a download over time, right? So this this idea of input and um, being able to input into a product and then constantly an evolution, things don't have to be perfect to be out there. It's very normal for a millennial and not so normal for their older colleagues. And, and understanding what, what's the, what is the minimum viable product in business terms, um, having a high standard for that and everyone agrees to what that is, is uh, vital to make sure that everyone has the same expectation of the work at hand. Well, what a refreshing perspective, Lee. Thank you for bringing that perspective to the workplace. That, And really, this is something that we have felt for a long time, that great leaders really are the ones who produce the great results. They have the capacity to bring out the best within a group, uh, realizing that you have different talents and different strengths. But frequently, people wonder if they have what it takes to be a great leader. But they do just the things we've, that you've talked about today. One of the things they do is, first of all, they are honest. They're ethical. People can count on them. But they also lead with a vision. 
They set yeah. the vision that people can get around, not not just the boomers or the Gen X's, but the millennials. And, and then it allows people to come together and work towards a common purpose. It gives focus and direction and cause and greater meaning. So all the things Absolutely. you're talking about are so spot on. And, and, and it's refreshing to hear because I do, I agree with you, uh, millennials get a bad rap. And, uh, and I think that is more a reflection of leaders not stepping up to do the things that they need to do. And I think the other, you know, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think the most important thing as a leader you can do is say you screwed up <laughs> and, and say it out loud and ask for help and making it better the next time. Um, I think there's been a lot of pressure on leaders to be perfect and um, perfection's impossible. But when we can um, be confident in our vision and then um, uh, admit fault as soon as it happens, people trust us more. People, you know, it's when you're living out of alignment with what actually is around you that uh, people don't trust you, right? And there's so much transparency in today's world. Um, off, you know, millennials probably know more about your business than you do just by what they can look at, right? There's so much more information available today than there was before. And access to information is, is something that um, millennials prize, absolutely prize. And in, actually, we prized it too, right? It was just sort sure. of you had to elevate to get the information. And to, in today's world, you do not need to elevate to get information. Um, and so I think that the um, having a vision – Understanding the purpose of the company, understanding the purpose of a team, understanding the purpose of a role is super important in order to make sure that uh, all people are pulling in the same direction. Right. I think the other thing about leadership for millennials is, you know, for millennials, a hierarchical leadership structure is pretty antithetical to their experience. And they think they, you know, uh, their, their experience is you can lead from anywhere in the boat, Right. Um, where boomers, again, the white might turn hierarchical situation, we all sort of had a pyramid scheme going on uh, just because there were so many of us. Well, right. And I, and I think for that reason, maybe leadership uh, is uh, at a greater demand than it's ever uh, been needed in, in history uh, because there's so many different variables today. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and the responsibility to create the right set of circumstances – as you've been mentioning, isn't just something that we've we've learned in school. The times have changed so much, so we need to adapt as well. But the principles are still in place, the lead with the vision, setting up a plan that people can get around, creating a culture uh, that is open, that has high trust. These are the things that I think bring people together. I agree. All right. Well, I now, agree. Lee, let's talk about one other thing before we wrap it up as our time grows short. Uh, another really terrific influence that you are with organizations is helping people with modern-day workplace etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So tell us about what good etiquette and manners look like in the workplace. Well, manners matter, right? And um, uh, manners matter. And, uh, and they get – when people don't know what the norm of the etiquette is – either in a culture or in a business or in a community, they, um, they don't advance. 
people do not advance when they're when they don't understand what the etiquette um, is around them. And um, when I was growing up, etiquette was explicit and taught, and that is not the case today. There's you know much many many fewer people who by percentage who um, actually go through an etiquette class in in school, right? It's extracurricular now, where it used to be part of the gig. Yeah. So um, I have a product called Everything Speaks, um, and it's a card deck of the manners that can get in your way if you just don't know what they are. So there, and I came out of it because I used to, when I recruited people, I would take them to dinner or to lunch, or somebody in my company would take them to dinner or to lunch just to see, you know, to get to know them better. And I did not hire two people. This is a while ago now. Didn't hire two people because they couldn't eat. Well, that was stupid. That was so short-sighted of me. It was so stupid. Like, I can teach someone how to eat at a restaurant. I cannot teach people how to be curious or take initiative or, you know, be open-minded, right? And I was so short-sighted. I really kicked myself on that. And out of that um, came the light bulb that said, you know what, my responsibility to anyone I come in contact with uh, in a professional sense from a work perspective or people who I talk with as informational interviews is to help them know how they're getting in their own way. So um, I do a lot of talking about that. <laughs> I'm actually I'm on the board of a, a college, uh, Menlo College in um, Atherton, California, and I have started doing um, how to have um, meal interviews, interviews at meals, um, training sessions for seniors and juniors um, because it, it, it's people come from all over the world with all different kinds of upbringings and all kind of different dining experiences and and they may not ever know that if you hang your fork off the t- the plate you're not going to get the job at the bank. <laughs> so um, there's and everyone could benefit from reading. Um, it's a big book, but the um, post book on uh, business etiquette is something that everyone could benefit from. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Now, unfortunately, our time is up. I wish we had a lot more time because Lee has (laughs) has so much to offer. Now, she's told us about Everything Speaks, the card deck, and she has uh, the book uh, Millennials and Management. Uh, Lee, how can our listeners learn more about what you're doing, uh, and uh, how can they get this information about these things you've talked about? I think the best place to go is my website, which is www.leecarahe.com. And you can get to my agency and my book and my, my everything speaks from there. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at, at Lee Carraher, um, and I am relatively prolific there. <laughs> ah, ah, good. Well, this has been wonderful. I can't wait to get these materials myself. Uh, I'm certainly going to order them today. Uh, We thank you, Lee, for being part of this show today. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor to be with you. Oh, it's been terrific. You've done a great job, and we wish you all the best as you're making a difference in the world. And to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I am Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast 
right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.